Hey everybody, welcome to Terror Talk. We are winding down season four today, and our last two episodes of season four are on John Wayne Gacy, and today is number one. But first... No, first. 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 Shannon. Yes. This is your birthday month, and you know what that means. What does it mean? It's the launching into our favorite season. That's right. That's right. I just want to say that I pulled, haven't used yet, not jumping the gun that quickly. Yes, ma'am. But I have just pulled out my Halloween mugs <gasps> to start using. I start using them in August because to me, super exciting. It's a season. It's it is not a, a season. holiday one day. No, no, no. It's a season. I mean, we obviously celebrate the terror and the horror all year long, but the fall season is our jam and fall does start in august <laughs> even though weather-wise not so much although it was overcast this morning which was kind of cool yeah it was i was a little bit relieved of course it's gonna get hot as fuck in a minute but mm-hmm. you know whatever <laughs> i wanted to mention really quick i know that you have an article about the influences uh jordan peele had for nope so i'm looking forward to talking about that but i wanted to really quickly say that i found this article on bloody disgusting about the five coolest horror collectibles Ooh, tell me more you know just this week or whatever so Elvira Tarman shirt from Captivity Colors. So Elvira meets the return of the living dead's Tarman in an American Gothic parody by Yannick Bouchard. T-shirts are $28. Tank tops, $28. And baseball tees are 37 And they look really cool. I have to look those up. It's like Elvira. It's like a beautiful artist rendering of Elvira. And then, of course... A whole lot of skeletal Tarman. remains. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> so that's pretty cool. What is it called again? I want to check look. that out. Elvira Tarman shirt. Cavity colors. Sorry. Something. I think I said captivity. Either one sounds good to me. Very but cool. those will show oh, here August twenty second. So those are coming. Ooh, out those right are now. really cool. Right? I like it. Yeah. So then also the new nightmare print from the House of Mysterious Secrets. So remember the Freddy Krueger portrait from that Robert England paints in Wes Craven's New Nightmare? Yeah. So the House of Mysterious Secrets made an 11 by 17 replica prints. <laughs> so your home can be haunted by that. It's only four ninety nine, and all the posters are buy four, get two free. So, you know, for your friends, I guess. Yeah. Something like The more that. the merrier. Right. So this one I was really excited about because I love the picture on the front. But it's the Ghostbusters official cookbook from oh, Insight Editions. Yeah, it's a 144-page hardcover book, which features about 50 recipes inspired by the Ghostbusters franchise. So oh, that's I'm just funny. sort of excited about that. I don't I'm know really why. excited to start making like my fall cookies and stuff that i bring yeah you. yeah the those pumpkin ones have always been really good mm-hmm. the last two the years anyway snickerdoodles i made last yeah year. i think you've been making them for a couple of years yeah. now i'm a fan of those put me on the list okay uh, number four would be the beetlejuice crossbody bag from la femme noir oh cool <laughs> so la femme noir and vixen have teamed up for a joint beetlejuice collection among which you'll find the beetlejuice tombstone turned into a crossbody bag so that's you can pre-order it for 92 dollars apparently and it's pretty cute you know campy and cute and then the last one that they have in this article on bloody disgusting is silent hill 2 statue from mezco toys it's uh the iconic monster is known as pyramid head i guess in that movie but the official name is red pyramid thing apparently (laughs) Whatever you want to call it, it's uh, joining the toys collection, uh, new static six line of one and six scale premium statues. So it's, you know, quality is what we're talking about. So it's due out actually a year from now in August 2023, but it's available for pre-order and it's $265 and you can get shipping free with the code SUNFREE22, which is all on the article on Bloody Disgusting that's entitled Five of This Week's Coolest Horror Collectibles. Very cool. Yeah. I, you know, I love that stuff a lot. Is I it, know. Yeah. I, I half bring it for you. I know. <laughs> I appreciate that. So I know we're going to talk about this later because you and I went to see Nope. Yes. Um, but I'm not going to give anything away yeah, right no. now, but there's a really great article in the new 
Fangoria. So it's volume two of this year. And it is an article called Jordan Peele Speaks, The Real Life Tragedy Behind Nope. And many of you, if you have seen it, or even if you haven't, if you're if you go onto any horror sites and you see anything for Nope, you'll probably see a chimp <laughs> and you will see a story called uh, Gordy's Home. Okay. I really, before I go into this, I just want to say how much I appreciate and love the fact that Jordan Peele has this way of making the anti-hero someone that you really care about and they're possibly misunderstood Mm -hmm. and even though there's they are perceived as dangerous like he did Mm -hmm. this in Candyman, he did this in us he he does it in all of it Mm -hmm. he did it again in nope and i didn't realize that when i saw this movie that the the gordy story about the chimp was actually a real story Mm -hmm. and the reason why he used that as a catalyst for the rest of the movie and what ends up happening and the reason behind the the main theme of the movie is he talks about how Hollywood exposes like the power of spectacle and that people are so drawn to anything that is big and flashy so much that we will exploit very innocent things or innocent creatures for our consumption. And then when it leads to destruction, we blame that creature or we blame that, you know, marginalized person or whatever he talks in the the article he talks about a creature isn't inherently good or evil but the it's about the uncertainty of its motivations outside of its survival that can create a narrative of fear when in all actuality most of the time it really just wants to be left alone Mm -hmm. so the the gordy story in the film is an introduction to how he creates the perceived villain in the rest of the film. And I just like, I get chills when I read about him because he really goes into animal rights and how animals are misused on in, in film, or at least they have been in the past and why it's led to like really dangerous things. And then we, we end up putting down the animal or we mm-hmm. end up, you know, so as much as he's done this work for, marginalized communities of humans in the past he's now doing it with animals and i'm like i even love you more (laughs) like just the fact that he's always like looking at that and going you know people and creatures are so misunderstood when the the majority person or being or whatever um has an idea and sort of wants to exploit that and turn it into something dangerous and he's just so fucking brilliant and so this article was really great Mm -hmm. yeah yeah, no, I've read the stuff that he's talked about, and we'll talk about it a little bit yeah. later. We'll talk about the movie No Spoilers a little bit later in the show. Um, but first, we are going to do a little something oh. that we like to call... Yeah, so that was Horror Effects with Kath. I'm the translator. <laughs> She just have. like leans back in her chair and laughs at me because I'm like, let me just explain to you. In case I may new. have needed some resuscitation during that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you blew it out. The whole like deck went red, and I'm like, hmm, I'll be uh, I'll be editing that down so that and you guys don't let me translate cry. that. <laughs> I don't want the listeners' eardrums to. Let me make sure I'm reading you the right one. See, I wasn't. Okay. Okay. Number one. Mm. This early millennium horror film was influenced by the low-budget approach of Blair Witch, filmed in 18 days, and was originally going to be filmed through the perspective of a security camera in an elevator. Okay. Number two. A disease called Yaws, Y-A-W-S, can actually make people look like A, zombies, B, vampires c ogres <laughs> yikes well i know which one i'd like it to be but go ahead mm-hmm. okay number three <laughs> um number three this horror novelist poet scientific theory author was considered america's first well-known professional writer america's first okay and then this is the last one there's only four on this one Robert Kessler, a former FBI special agent 
was credited with coining what now famous term? A, serial killer, B, mass murderer, or C, profiler. Okay. Thank you very much. You're so welcome. So what we do with those is at the very end of the show, she'll give us the answers by way of me attempting to guess. Yeah. So we're going to be right back and we're going to discuss John Wayne Gacy. We'll be right back. We are back. I have to say, when I started working on this, I knew probably the least about him. Yeah, me too. Right? Because mm-hmm. everything is told from the perspective of Pogo the Clown. And I think right. you and I know now, doing some research, <laughs> there's a lot more to this guy. Like very little to do. Really very little to do in such a small part of his life. <clears throat> so I'm going to tell you all a little bit, just introduce him first. And I'm going to walk you through his childhood and into his young adulthood today. I watched one of the references for me was an A&E biography on him called A Monster in Disguise. And uh, there's a lot, there are a lot of videos on him, just sh- even like 20, 30 minute documentaries all over the place. Many of them you can find on YouTube. Um, and then we know that there was the, the doc that came out this year, mm-hmm. which I thought was pretty good. And mm-hmm. that was the doc that actually made me go, wow, Pogo's really like not a huge part of this. <laughs> yeah, totally. So, all right, who is this dude? So John Wayne Gacy was an American serial killer and rapist who targeted uh, mostly teenage boys and young men were his victim pool. He was convicted of sexually assaulting and murdering 33 teenage boys and young men during the 1970s, and he was sentenced to death for 12 of these killings and eventually executed by lethal injection. So it's said that the actual number of his victims could be higher, and I think this is something that we see with a lot of serial killers. It's always like a guesstimate because these these are what they were caught for, <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. we don't know if there were more. You know, obviously he was noted to be a sadistic killer. I don't know how you can really be a killer without having some level of sadism unless you're (laughs) killing for self-defense. Seems a little redundant to me. He derived pleasure from torturing his victims and he enjoyed really watching the slow, painful and an agonizing death. That was really what turned him on was just watching someone and, and the fear and the torment on their face And there's a power in that, as we know. He was certainly known for his sexual depravity and cruelty, and he himself had been a victim of physical violence and sexual assault when he was young. And we know this. We know this about, you know, most serial killers, that there's some level of really tormenting childhood. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about his early life. And, you know, when we talk about this, just an explanation is not an excuse, but it certainly made a lot of sense to me based on his childhood, how he became what he became. Yeah, like the behavior that he that's eventually right. enacted. Yeah, yeah, that's right. So he, John Wayne Gacy was born on March 17th, 1942. He was born in Chicago, Illinois, to John Stanley Gacy and Marion Elaine Robinson. He had two sisters, and his father was an auto repair machinist and a World War I veteran. Obviously, there's trauma there with dad. He was, Gacy was named after his mother's favorite movie star, John Wayne and his father was, uh, you know, happy that a son was born to carry the name because he had had two daughters previous to, to Gacy being born. His siblings are Joanne and Karen Gacy. And some of the, um, documentary that I watched, Karen was interviewed for large portions of it. And I can't even imagine what it's like to be the sibling of someone like this and the way that she described him. I I had a lot of empathy for her. So he was the son of um, Danish and Polish parents. 
Gacy and siblings grew up with an alcoholic father. So John Stanley was a, a raging alcoholic. He would uh, beat the children up using a razor strap if they were um, perceived to have misbehaved. And, you know, he, based on his work, the father's work, he was a machinist. He was tired. He was agitated every time he came home. The first thing he did was, you know, go downstairs and have a drink. And so his tolerance for anything must have been incredibly low. And what we know is that his father used to mercilessly beat him for no reason. He would find anything at all to beat him, even to the point that would render him unconscious and, um, you know, with, with, with how brutal the physical assaults were. So that's really sad. His father would come home from work. He'd go down to the basement where he would start drinking his brandy. And at that point, the children uh, and their mother would wait upstairs. Mom had made dinner and they would just literally sit at the table in fear. And they would know that uh, they have to wait for this man to come upstairs. They don't know what kind of condition he's going to come up in, but they know he's um, not happy. He's agitated. He's abusive. He's traumatized. He's all these things. So if they spoke out or misbehaved, then the razor strap would come out even at dinner. So this, I mean, literally paralyzed by fear. To add another component, as we know, if the, if the children are being beaten, then it's also likely that the mother's being beaten. And his father would physically assault Gacy's mother as well. They would argue, the parents would argue frequently, and and Gacy and his sisters were exposed to this. And his mother would try to her best to protect John from his father, but obviously physically un- incapable of doing that. And if she tried, then, you know, obviously she's going to get beat as well. Mm-hmm. On top of all of this... Another unfortunate incident happens in John's life when he's sexually molested by a family friend. So when he was seven years old, he was molested uh, repeatedly by a friend of the family. And this has happened quite a bit, even in my own practice, when I'm talking to adult men who have been um, molested by a family friend or by a neighbor when they were growing up, is that there was so much shame in telling anybody that they two two things happen. One... Um, if they admit it, then there's some sort of weakness or maybe they liked it or may, there's a confusion. And then two, they go on in their life growing up with this immense fear that someone just by talking to them will figure out that they've been molested. So they're in this constant state of shock and fear mm. that this secret will become exposed. So he's repeatedly, you know, molested by this family friend. He never tells his parents about it. He fears that his father would find him at fault and that he'd be severely punished. Cause clearly we know this is a guy that has zero tolerance. And then Gacy wasn't, he wasn't like a stereotypically masculine little boy. So dad already had issues with the fact that he didn't get the son he wanted. Mm-hmm. So despite the fact that Gacy eventually joins boy scouts, he's still an outsider and he's different from the other boys. His childhood friend, Barry Bocelli, who actually wrote a book, and there's some stuff, um, he does also some interviews regarding his friendship with Gacy, uh, noted this. So one afternoon when they were playing, Barry saw that Johnny, uh, Gacy, had a bag of his mother's silk bras and underwear uh, in his closet. And Barry asked what he was doing with those things, and um, Gacy says, I wonder if I dressed up as a woman how I would look. So it was very early in his life that he developed a a fetish for women's underwear. Um, Nobody was there to really help him develop his sexuality. So obviously he hit it, he repressed it, and that just contributed to more confusion. And again, you know, this is um, something that for little boys can be really problematic for a number of reasons, but they start to believe that if they're attracted to men, Um, that it's because of the molestation and all of this stuff. So he is absolutely confused and he's already starting to show signs of um, fetish behavior and things like this. And he's, Mm -hmm. he's like 10 at this point. Right. right? So to add insult to injury, he's diagnosed with a congenital heart disease when he's a child. So his father clearly shows no empathy for this, but he sees it as one more weakness. So he's not, you know, socially masculine. Now he has a health problem. He's not assertive. Now dad is even feels, you know, just more upset that Gacy did not become who he wanted him to be. And because of this congenital heart disease, he couldn't play as much with other kids, which created even more isolation. He had to rest a lot. He was labeled as the sickly kid. 
You know, yeah. he was the kid that everybody knew on the block that something was wrong with him. So he couldn't really play sports. He didn't really have any interest in sports, but he wanted to actually cook with his sisters and work in the garden. And of course, dad was like, hell no. <laughs> right. um, and so he met all of Gacy's autonomy with ridicule, humiliation, resistance, things that certainly set a child up for failure. He would tell Gacy that he was nothing and a wimp, and therefore Gacy developed a very good relationship with his mother, which made his father paranoid and jealous. Because, you know, if you're dealing with a narcissist and or sociopath, and he is no longer affected by dad, there's going to be a reaction there. And, you know, he's moving closer to his mother, and that's a threat. So dad became very angry and jealous over this. Gacy's sister, Karen, who is the one who spoke in a lot of these documentaries, would later say that the siblings learned to toughen up against the beatings and that Gacy would learn to not cry. And you and I know this, that someone who's been traumatized um, long enough and physically assaulted, that eventually there's just like this shutdown that happens. So part of it is self-preservation, but part of it is like there's nothing really left. He's just sort of numb at this point. But because of it, it would only agitate dad because dad's like, why are you no longer being affected by this? So I'm now going to beat you harder and I'm going to beat you differently. And and I'm going to now seclude you from your sisters and you're going to get all of my anger and rage at this time. He finds out that he had a blood clot in his brain, which is treated. And part of that is probably connected to the congenital heart stuff. And he finds out that he'd missed too much school. He was on bed rest. He was in the hospital. So he's no friends, totally sick, getting beaten at home, feels like an underdog. I mean, I'm really sad for this child version of him, right? He ends up getting that treated. He misses a lot of school. And despite his fragile health, dad continues to beat him, even in this condition. So he grows up a little bit. And at 17, he has a fight with his father. And he decides to leave the house, moves out, and he goes to work for this ambulance service. And eventually this would lead to work um, where he would be employed at a mortuary. And this is also uh, where he ends up living. So he ends up getting hired, working for the mortuary, and then spending nights there and living there. He would, based on what his sister stated, he would sleep in a coffin with a dead teenage boy eventually like grows frightened of it. Like he kind of is like, what am I doing? And it freaks him out and he leaves. He, it causes him to move back to Illinois. And according to his sister, Karen, when he eventually came home, she said something about that whole incident. He came back. He was never the same. Okay. So in high school, he, um, he did date several girls. He played, he played the part of, you know, this is what I'm supposed to do in 1960 his health issues begin to exacerbate uh, while he's learning the print trade. So he would begin passing out. Um, So he was told that he'd never be a machinist like his father, Mm -hmm. which caused more rejection and disappointment. So everything that he tried to do, everything that he did to take a step forward was only met with health problems, uh, isolation, physical abuse, rejection, humiliation, so on and so forth. So Barry Bocelli, the friend that I was talking about, he actually wrote a book called Johnny and Me. He started noticing that Gacy in young adulthood had gone, you know, started to go down this different path. And one evening while Barry was working on a a building project, Gacy comes to his door and says, this is from your father, this and this is from me. And he hits Barry across the face and runs off. Barry didn't report report him because at this time, uh, Gacy was already under probation for something else. But he started to realize like this, this little guy that I grew up with, something has drastically changed. I'm really concerned about him. At the age of 22, now he's on his own and he's determined to make a name for himself as a shoe salesman. So his sister and mother thought this was what Um, maybe he needed to finally become himself to change his narrative, to become successful, to feel more comfortable in himself. He really craved notoriety, which is obvious. He never had attention from the most important 
you know, figure in his life. So now he's seeking it out in all of these different ways. So he's craving notoriety and acceptance. He join, he ends up joining the junior chamber of commerce uh-huh, yep. and he organizes an anti-litter campaign um, and sex ed in public schools, which leads to work in the p- political specter and getting recognition. In uh, February, 1964, he begins dating a shy woman named Marlon Um, And of course, it's going to take a woman that's more timid, shy, because in order to be in a relationship, I mean, to him, this is a complete fake relationship anyway. He needed to completely feel in control and probably with someone that he could get away with a lot. I was going to say it's more effective to be able to hide who you really are with someone who you can make sure doesn't ask you any questions. That's right. Doesn't isn't invasive, you know. Yeah, for sure. And I think I think that's exactly what a lot of these guys do is that they they do marry to give the image that they're healthy. They want to have it. But of course, they're going to only be with someone who's going to ask zero questions. Right. And like beyond the manipulation of it, it's also like from a developmental perspective, he's still always trying to please his father. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is so Marlon would be who he eventually marries. This is his first marriage. And within the first year, she becomes pregnant. And Gacy does demonstrate a lot of excitement. He's really thrilled to become a father, but he's still repressing. Of course, those don't go anywhere. He's still repressing all the feelings he felt as a little boy. um, And these begin to surface. So in February 1966, while Marlon is in labor, Gacy is at a bar with a male friend. Why was he not at the hospital? Well, you know, a couple of reasons. One, men were not allowed in at that time like they are now. But two, you know, because he's John Wayne Gacy. Right. So right. Uh, that evening, the man was um, sexually assaulted by Gacy. And Gacy actually wakes up feeling a combination of his exhilaration and shame. This is the first time he's like, wow, I've acted on this now. This is exhilarating. But I also realized that I... This was non-consensual and I did some really fucked up stuff. So he then leaves the house, goes straight to the hospital to meet his newborn son like nothing had happened. And so in this moment, he wakes up with this confusion. He runs to the hospital. He meets his son for the first time in his life. His father shows pride. Hmm. So now it's like, okay, well, I did all this over here and that felt really good. But now I'm actually getting recognition from my father and I need to completely lean into this role. So for the first time in his life, he had made a name for himself. He started a family and his relationship with his father started to strengthen, of course, conditionally, but that's all he cared about. Yeah. I imagine his father all through his childhood gave him intermittent validation Mm -hmm. to solidify the control and the abuse. And that's what we know about course of control too, right? So there's the intermittent little droppings that they give for to give reason to still kind of love and attach to that person that's what he did so at this point now in 1968 Gacy's is like two years so his son's about two years old Gacy's now like full-on living a double life and he moves to Iowa where he and his wife have uh two children and he becomes the manager for a few Kentucky Fried Chickens so this is the highest point in his life. He has a solid job. He has a family. Everything looks great from the outside. However, in the same year, he's had his first known homosexual experience with another one of his coworkers. So this is obviously separate from his assault. This is now the first like consensual experience, right? Um, Gacy begins to now regularly cheat on his wife and becomes involved in prostitution and drugs because now he's at a point where he's like, I'm not getting caught. I can continue to do this. But what we also know about people who have never been, their sexuality's never been validated is oftentimes they have to be really fucked up on drugs to do that. So it's going to lead into this really terrible pattern. Well, and I agree with you too, knowing, knowing what happens later, of course, and knowing what's happened to this point, even though this is all messed up, it's like the most normative he is for sure. in his whole life. Like for sure. we're going to next week we're going to, we'll get into like sort of what happens later, mm-hmm. but 
yeah, this is literally from what you've described the most normative moment. Even though he's you know hiding yep. his true self and using right. prostitution and drugs and all that, this is seriously because this is actually not that uncommon. We no, see, we see no. you know we see people cheat cheat on their partners and and go get prostitutes, and often after they've had a child. Yep. and, all and that. they're not like all serial. It's killers. Very very normative. Yeah, and they're not all serial. Killers. And they're not all Correct. serial killers. So no, we, no one would know necessarily that he was going to go on to do what he did. So I would agree with that. Like this was um, obviously. Obviously, it wasn't healthy, but it no. wasn't. This was not the sickest time in his life. No. So he, you know, he he realizes now. Oh, I can get away with this. I can live this double life. I can compartmentalize this. He starts to regularly cheat on his wife. He opens. This is so weird, and this is in the documentary. He opens a club in his basement, where he now starts to like socialize and bring his young male coworkers and and uh, underage boys. You know, he starts to bring them alcohol, and it becomes this little club for like underage folk mm -hmm. yeah so his first known sexual assault with a minor was with a teenage boy named donald Voorhees, and he's actually the son of one of gacy's friends so Voorhees tells his father who then runs to the police and reports it and gacy's charged for oral sodomy and an attempted assault on another boy named edward lynch but gacy is obviously denying this and proceeds to a coworker of his assault, Voorhees, with, uh, with Mace. And he makes him promise not to testify against him in the upcoming trial. He gives him $300. So he goes up to him. He's like, I, I'm going to, I'm going to stop this right now. I've, I'm, I'm going to assault you if you don't, if you try to move, I will give you $300 to shut your mouth. And you are not saying another word of this. Uh, well, Voorhees refuses. And, and then on top of that reports the second offense of the other boy. So he, Gacy's now arrested and charged with two counts of sodomy on two minor boys. His family is completely in disbelief. And then obviously he tells them it's a setup. It's like, this didn't have, this is bullshit. I didn't do this. I know why this is happening. And his reasoning was that it was a maneuver for the opposing candidate who was running for political office. And he said, you know, he made up this accusation to, to ruin my chance of winning, is what Casey, Gacy said. And his family believed him. They're like, we had never seen any signs of this, which is common, right? Like, they, they compartmentalize their lives so much. And denial is pretty powerful. Mm -hmm. There are probably a ton of red flags. And they didn't, yeah, and they, yeah, they legitimately hadn't seen him do anything this egregious. Right. And they didn't know him. No. They didn't know him. No. They so, weren't paying attention. They were not paying attention. <laughs> so when the trial comes... um, Gacy gets the maximum sentence and his father uh, still believes that it's a setup because God forbid he has a son that's now, you know, yeah. in the media for something negative. So his father said, uh, so his father says to him, this is why you never should have gotten involved with politics. Yeah, that right? was the reason. That was the reason. <laughs> it wasn't your behavior, dad. So he's sentenced to 10 years in prison. And at this time, Marlon is like, I can't be with you anymore. This is too much. I don't know what's going on, but clearly something has happened. I don't believe that this is a setup, but some, there's some version of the truth in this. So she divorces him and he never sees his children again. So he's, but this is where he's very skilled in his sociopathy is he's now labeled a model prisoner. Um, he would even make use of his cooking skills to the point where he would have like a menu for the prisoners. Right. And at this point, Gacy's father's diagnosed with cancer and, and dies three months later, which weighs on Gacy. Again, it's another failure because he believes that all of the stress he put on his father is the reason why his father died. And um, he being imprisoned and all of that contributed to his father's death. According to Gacy's sister, Karen, that was not the case at all. His father was a raging alcoholic and he died of cirrhosis of the liver. Um, but John wouldn't, wouldn't reason and he carried even more shame from that. So he's, he's sentenced to 10 years. He only ends up serving 18 months because he's this model prisoner and he bullshits his way through. Um, he was able to convince the system that he was not a danger. And he gets out and goes to live with his mother. Mm -hmm. So two years later, he starts his own construction business. He is well-liked by people in his community, which again, we hear a lot of that. And he was the life of the party and he would have holiday parties at his home. This is when he really started to involve uh, the neighbors and all this. And this is where, I know you're going to talk about this next week. This is where his identity of Pogo the Clown 
begins. So some highlights that maybe you and I can just talk about when we think about risk factors or risk assessment up until this point is, you know, we have early exposure to physical abuse, Mm -hmm. um, both as a direct victim and through vicarious trauma of watching his mother be beaten. Yeah. Early exposure to sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. emotionally unavailable mother and neglectful avoidant father. We have a lack of modeling regarding healthy development and sexual development. Um, He's a high school dropout. He was not allowed to explore his sexuality. Now, I want to be clear here. This doesn't lead someone to become a serial killer. So I'm always hesitant to to make that a causational thing. We don't want to put too much emphasis on that. But there, I think we can say that there's a correlation to that sexual repression on top of the violence. With all of the other things. All of the other things. There's a history of social rejection and feelings of inadequacy due to his physical health issues and perceived femininity due to his interests and more socially constructed female hobbies, such as cooking and gardening. Um, He has repressed sexual fantasies, which were rehearsals for later behavior due to a lack of psychological intervention and a propensity for violence, giving his upbringing. So this is how his life was set up. Yeah, it's I can see where, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, some serial killers will go towards sexual deviancy and some absolutely don't. And I can see where just in what you're talking about is that when violence is coupled with sex in the same time period developmentally developmentally is often you saw that with Bundy too is when we and see Ramirez. them mm-hmm. yeah is when we see the power and control that sex gives them over whichever gender they yes. choose to That's kill right. um, it's often tied in some kind of sexual aggression that they experience in their young life we i think most research will point to every serial killer on record has a history of humiliation, rejection. Yeah, and then we see when we break these down, right, a lot of times um, there's a moment of humiliation and rejection that sets the, sets the fire, that starts the yes. obsessive killing, you know. When I was doing risk assessment for sexually violent offenders, that was something that I learned early in my training, that the, the most dangerous, like, risk factor for an offender is at some level there was humiliation humiliation is more powerful than rejection as far as if you really want to um, wound them harm them trigger Mm -hmm. them because i mean humiliation is terrible it's terrible feeling it is a terrible feeling they Mm -hmm. don't have any iota of the ego strength to be able to tolerate that no so you know i hope this gives a little context to how how we get to him next week but really sad my god yeah, it's a it's a sad story. There's always a sad story. Like these guys always have a sad story. And then next week we're going to get into all of the horrible things that he did and we won't feel any in any way sad for That's him right. anymore. That's <laughs> so, we'll talk about that next week, but for now we're going to take a quick break and we're going to get into some discussions of some horror movies that we've seen recently. So, we will be right back. <laughs> back let's talk movies shall we unless you have books or something too Uh, not this week but let's just start with nope yeah let's start with nope so nope is jordan peele's latest horror movie 2022 horror mystery thriller it's over two hours long kathy and i went to see it in the movie theater together which was fun so the basic premise is that two siblings who run a california horse ranch discover something wonderful and sinister in the skies above and the owner of an adjacent theme park tries to profit from the mysterious otherworldly phenomenon so that's like the the premise that they give you so they don't blow away any of the good shit Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's just the premise so we went to see it in the theater i knew very little i saw an early trailer 
in the movie theater, that's the thing about when you go to the movie theater and you're on time, you end up seeing all these trailers that you might not want to see. <laughs> so sometimes I'm late intentionally to the movie, so I don't see all the trailers. But I saw a Nope trailer like months and months and months and months ago. So I knew what most people knew, which was that there was this California vibes, there was this ranch vibes, and the guy from Get Out was in it, <laughs> you know, and uh, David Keith was in it. Like I knew some of the stars that were in it. The guy from The Walking Dead was in it, that kind of thing. And that there was some some kind of like alien-esque thing happening. Mm -hmm. That Those were the vibes that that very first trailer gave you. Mm -hmm. And like all those things are true. That right. is the basic part of the story. And then there's, you know, two hours and 15 minutes of, of course, very original filmmaking that ensues. Yes. Did you enjoy the movie? I think he did it again. Okay. I think he did it again. I, I did like it. It's very different from, I think it's a little different from what he's done before. Mm -hmm. The focus. Well, it's sci-fi. It's sci-fi. Sci but I did. I enjoyed the performances a lot. Mm -hmm. I enjoyed the cinematography a lot. I enjoyed the message. I, I did. I Overall, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. We came out of the movie theater and everybody was sort of like, I don't know. I got to think about it. <laughs> it wasn't like, whoa, when you go like, wow, or whatever. No, it was, very, it was very it was interesting. More like, it was more like, that was really unique and interesting and I didn't hate it and I liked it a lot mm -hmm. and I got to think about it. Yep. And just like all of his other movies, you go home and you Google and you figure out what it was supposed to mean and all of that. But what I can tell you is that when I first walked out of it, what I felt was that it was one of my very favorite. Now I think it's one of my very, the most unique and very favorite movies that have an alien piece of the story. I would say that it's magnificent in that sense. Yes. In other words, the sci-fi part of it that he did was, I was riveted by the whole time. And then afterwards, and then like, I just thought, wow, that was cool. And I like alien movies anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Like, so that part I can say right out of the gate, I walked out of the theater like I really loved all of that. I also walked out of the theater like Jordan Peele's always doing a bunch of levels to the movie. It's like, you know, that whole thing where they talk about elevated horror. Mm -hmm. But it's like he's always doing all of these levels. And I could kind of tell a little bit what they were. But then I definitely had to go and do some research to figure out the spectacle thing and the other kind of the, you know, the, the animal thing was pretty clear. What you talked about, like animals yeah. being used. Yeah. You just the, feel it. Right. And you just see that. I, I have like empathy for the chimp, even though he was. Yeah. You know. I mean, you see there's horse, just so you guys who haven't seen it, like you see horses and there's a monkey and different things. And so you do get that theme of animals being used in the entertainment industry a spectacle, and, yeah. Yeah, and how that is an analogy for all of us being used. And so there's those layers, you know, aliens use us, we use animals, you know, there's all these layers. So yeah, it's like, exactly. So that part is not really spoilers because it's, uh, well, it's the end of August now, so. Well, and it's all in the, tra a lot <laughs> of it's that. in the trailer. A lot of that's in the trailer. But as you know, the way it plays out and what actually happens, like I would never want to spoil that for you because it really is dramatic and interesting. And there was another person that was with us and I know that I, I heard them talking about like, I'm not sure how this part of the story related to that part of the story. And I felt similarly, except I trust Jordan Peele so much that I could see some ties between the different characters and how they intertwined. But I really did have to sort of think about it and read about it. And now I very deeply understand how it all goes together. And I'm okay with that. Like, here's the thing. Sometimes I think in one of the recent episodes, I said something like, I, like I, I shouldn't have to have it explained to me. And that's true on many levels, except when 
it was a great movie whether I knew any of that or not. Yeah, on, on as just face value as an alien movie, yeah. it's still really entertaining. Yep. But just like all of his movies, if you give yourself some time to read a little bit, process it a little bit, digest it, and it goes to those deeper levels, it becomes even better. Yeah, but the, the and yeah. that's why I said the movie even just itself without giving anything away visually performance wise yeah. it's it's a big popcorn movie and it and see it in the theater if you can yeah they're so great there's a lot of depth to dig into that we wouldn't do now but uh, I really enjoyed it and I really look forward to seeing it the next time I yeah see I want to watch it again you know that that's how all of his movies have been for me like the second time I watch it or the third time or whatever is far more interesting because I kind of like, oh, okay, I get a little bit of what's happening and I know the story and I know the arc of it. So now I can actually like look at the nuance of it because there's always yeah. 412 Easter eggs in there for sure. For the story. And it, that's what I like about it. He's, he's not hitting you. All of his movies I find don't hit you over the head with the message. I mean, some more than others, yeah. but this one doesn't hit no. you over the head with a message. You, you really at have all. no idea what's going on at all and maybe that's sometimes people's disappointment with it like you know i've heard varying degrees of what people thought of it but maybe some people are like oh i like it when the message is right there but this one's not like that at all not it's not like us where it's like right there in your face right um, yeah it's and and you know he uses some great comedy in it too oh my god i laughed so hard uh, thank great, you for reminding yeah, me of that because there were times when i laughed out loud of course let me just tell you this kathy and i we're the only two hollering at like three or four different points in the movie. And that's not to say that it's not funny because I don't know what those people were doing in that, in that theater, but this has happened to you and I twice. It happened with the new screen as scream as well. Yeah. We were hilarious. Like we were holding our guts laughing so hard at a couple of different points and no one around us is laughing. Yeah. I don't understand. I, I, he's, I mean, and uh, what's her Kiki, what's her name? The actor, um, oh God, she was flipping funny. She was hilarious. I mean, yeah, Kiki Palmer. Oh God, she was she, great. Um, there was just a few points in this that I laughed so hard, and it, you know, maybe they just never seen a Jordan Peele movie or something. The, I don't know. The last thing I'll say, I'm not giving anything away when I say this, but the the TMZ guy in the motorcycle yeah, when he flips. Yeah. Oh like, my God. Oh, oh there's my God. just <laughs> it's hilarious. There are there are straight up really funny moments in this well, movie, and that was another that specific scene was another example of as far as media will go to even, you know, risk yeah, yeah, their own yeah. lives for spectacle. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's, it's so good. It's good stuff. Yeah. All right. What's next? What, um, what did you watch? I finally saw Amma. U-M-M-A? She pronounces it Amma in oh, the movie. Oh, she does? Yeah. Okay, mm -hmm. gotcha. So Sandra Oh, I, I'm not, I don't remember if you've talked about this one in the show yet, but um, no. Amanda and her daughter live a quiet life on an American farm, but when the remains of her estranged mother arrive from Korea, Amanda becomes haunted by the fear of turning into her own mother. Man, this is just like, on so many levels, I think many mothers and daughters can relate to this story. Obviously, this is extreme mm -hmm. and there's a cultural component to it. Sandra O's oh performance and um Fivel Stewart. So both of them, Sandra O, oh, Fivel Stewart and and um Dermot Mulroney, really great in this film. Sandra O's oh character is just really layered in the sense that there's a, a, a huge mental health component that she's basically been gaslit by her mother her entire life to believe that she could never leave and mm -hmm. that she's like allergic to electricity so like no cell phone so the daughter is raised with this very very paranoid depressed isolated mother sure and Dermot Mulroney is the only sort of like friend they have in their life who owns a store in town. And he's the only one that's been able to really like get through to Sandra Oh as a friend. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to help the daughter played by Fivel Stewart, who's great in this to go to college. And, you know, and Sandra Oh gets really upset. She's like, how dare you? And he's like, well, you don't expect her to be here forever. Do you? And so she finds out this is, this is, um, I'm not giving anything away here cause it's in the trailer. She finds out, uh, Sandra Oh finds out that her mother has passed away. She's been estranged from her mother now for a very long time. And the, the, the uncle brings the ashes to the house and all these weird things start to happen. But 
without going too much into it or giving it away, it really becomes a story about autonomy, individuality, um, separation and individuation, and then just intergenerational trauma. So it's actually, there's a horror element to it, but I would say there's much more of like a psychological thriller, mental health component to it. Well, maybe that's why a lot of the people that I so that movie has been on my list for a while and I've just never chosen it because yeah. I've heard so many more negative things about it and maybe it's because there was an expectation that That's it was exactly a horror right. movie mm-hmm. and not more of a psychological drama as it sounds and like it, and it does even the ending is much more of like a psychological I personally enjoyed that because I went into it not really knowing what to expect mm-hmm. and the perform yeah, the performances are so great that but it is very different than I think what people expect. Yeah, expectations yeah. always mess us up. Yeah, <laughs> they always. But do. I like. I mean, I liked it overall. She's yeah, just great, great to watch. Oh, well, I like her a lot too. And I should have known the ama thing because I watch a show that has an ama and an appa, which is oh, the father name the for grandfather? or the <laughs> yeah, mother or father. There's yeah, there's a TV show that I watched that has those words in it, and I just like yeah. spaced it. But when you said it, I'm like, oh, yeah, that's Korean for mom. Okay, I wasn't sure until she pronounced it. <laughs> no, 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 mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, and when you kept saying it, I was like, yeah, why do I know that word? And now I realize <laughs> it's because I've been watching this TV show. Okay. So I also watched Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon oh, City. How was it? 2021 horror action flick. If you are a fan, this is what I'm told because I know nothing of the games, but the Resident Evil video games are what a lot of people that I know are really into Resident Evil for is like they played the games for years and they've been waiting for like a Resident Evil movie to be a horror movie because as we all know all of the Resident Evil movies have been action like heavy heavy action and not horror movies and so everybody I guess who's played the games have been waiting for this kind of thing. So what I can tell you is that if you liked the game, this is what I'm told by others. If you liked the games, you'll like resident evil. Welcome to raccoon city because it's a horror. It's definitely there's action of course, but it's a horror. (laughs) Yeah. It's definitely a horror movie. So I'm going into it only having watched the old resident evil movies, but also not being really attached to those right. necessarily. So I was going in knowing that, you know, people had said it's a horror flick. Don't worry. It's not like the Mila action yeah. <laughs> movie ones. It's a horror movie. So that's, that's what I always wanted from it. And so apparently this has delivered for a lot of people that had those kinds of expectations from it. So the basic premise is that, you know, they're, they're kind of returning to the origins of it, like bringing the games to life. Um, Very cool. So once the booming home of pharmaceutical giant Umbrella Corporation, Raccoon City, is now a dying Midwestern town, the company's exodus left the city a wasteland with great evil brewing below the surface. And when that evil is unleashed, a group of survivors must work together to uncover the truth behind umbrella and make it through the night. So there is this light plot, of course, of, you know, what drives the action is that they're attempting to uncover like what the hell went wrong and what happened, Mm -hmm. but there's, you know, creatures and stuff. Very cool. I'm looking forward to that because that's what, I mean, I liked the action ones, but Resident Evil is horror. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's gory. It's gory. Yeah, that's cool. It's got creatures in it. I mean... Cool. It's got the lore in it. Like people were saying like, oh, this is that part in the game where they do the blah, 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 blah. So if you're into the games, you're going to see a lot of stuff that's familiar. Cool. Yeah. I watched a 2019 horror film called Girl on the Third Floor. I actually really like this. I kind of went into it going, eh, well, let's see. What is this? Yeah. Uh, Don Coach, a man from Chicago with a criminal past, purchases an old house in the suburbs, hoping for a new start with for, for his pregnant wife, Liz, and their dog, Cooper. Shortly after moving in, Don meets Ellie Mueller, the pastor 
living across the street. Later, Don learns from the local bartender about the house's sordid past and its effect on straight men. Don witnesses strange events within the home, including sludge-like substances seeping from the walls and fixtures, as well as the appearance of marbles throughout the home. Next, Don meets another assumed neighbor, Sarah Yates, who easily seduces him in the upstairs bedroom. After she leaves, the bedroom ceiling collapses, revealing a viewing platform in the attic. The next day, Sarah appears again and tries to seduce Don, but he admits his guilt and dismisses her. So as the movie moves on, you start to see that his character, I'm going to make it really surfaced here (laughs) and one dimensional, but he, he turns bad. He starts Uh to lose his moral compass. And, you know, obviously the metaphor is he's been seduced by this neighbor, but you really start to realize that something is going on in the house. And, um, this, this, this idea has been done before, but I do think that there was something a little bit unique about this film in particular and uh, the center of the character who's actually, um, you know, losing everything is around uh, a male. And usually it's the female that's kind of going crazy and losing her mind. It starts to happen to him and um, he feels like his friends messing with him and he's paranoid of his wife and all of this stuff starts to happen. And really what the movie is about is, um, you know, taking control of your decisions and that there are consequences to those decisions as the movie moves on the wife actually becomes a bigger part of that how she ends up sorry guys i'm gonna i'm gonna just gonna give you this because it's a 2019 we we find out that sarah is a ghost that's been locked in the house okay and that uh the the wife is the one that ends up burying her and kind of putting her out of her her misery despite the fact that she was the one that completely destroyed the husband knowing that her soul was locked in the house and there's just a lot of there's great gore there's great there are a couple um scenes in the film that really just like disturb the hell out of me and for it to be like an independent film um i thought it was nicely done great yeah I also watched the movie Incantation. How was that? I was very close to watching that. It's a Taiwanese horror, of course, and it's found footage. Uh, I mean, they take some liberties with the found footage. It's not like strict found footage. 2022. It's inspired by a true story of a family who believed they were possessed by spirits. And this film follows a woman who must protect her child from the curse. So I... I don't like all found footage. I like some found footage and I liked this one. I thought, I thought it was really, I thought it was pretty well done. I mean, it focuses heavily on the atmosphere of dread and the tension and all of that. And I feel like when they were doing that, it was very effective. Like the, the building of terror and Mm -hmm. anticipation was, you know, in a found footage movie, you have to have that. Or it's really, for me, not so much. (laughs) But they did it really, really well. And, like, it's throughout. Like, there's not, it's not like there's just a little bit of tension or atmosphere. There's a lot of it. The narrative doesn't, for me, didn't quite go together in the sort of, like, quote-unquote found footage. It's not entirely found footage, right? It's a little bit of a hybrid, but, I mean, I think they stuck the ending. Mm -hmm. And it was... I wanted it to be over. I was a little bit aware of like, okay, was it long? Okay. Uh, or did it just feel long? Uh, you know how. Uh, yeah. It just, it is a little bit long. It's almost two hours, hour and 50 minutes. So for me, that's a bit, that's a bit long for a found footage movie for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, like I said, there was some mixed aspects to it, but it's on Netflix and I think it's worth a watch. And I mean, man, if you're a found footage fan, it's definitely worth a watch. But I think in general, it's worth it. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, the original language is Chinese. Cool. So there's- Yeah, I saw it on there, and I was like, I bet you anything Shannon's going to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. Let's uh, well, get to our answers. Yeah. This is some answers. Okay. I know none of Excellent. them. Excellent. Yeah, this is one where I was like, I don't know. I gave you some choices, though. Yeah. I mean, I guess, of course, but. Number one, this early millennium horror film was influenced by the low-budget approach of Blair Witch, filmed in 18 days, and was originally going to be filmed through the perspective of a security camera and an elevator. Wow, I have—I really don't know. I really don't know. Yeah, it's pretty don't vague. Uh, Saw. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no. But then I, I think never. they changed it because they didn't want it to be like Devil, where Whoa. it was like, yeah. 
Wow, can you imagine if the first saw was shot through the video camera, like total indie style, Blair Witch style? I know. Uh, I would I not have liked it. No, nor I. Okay, cool. I mean, yep. it would have been scary as shit. Yeah, sure. Would have been just different. Would have been more like found, found footage. footage. <laughs> yeah. Number two, a disease called yaws can actually make people <laughs> look like zombies, <laughs> vampires, or ogres. Ogres. V- zombies. Oh, okay. So the disease causes, <laughs> listen, this is gross. I wanted it to be ogres. Causes oozing sores on the face, leg, and arms. Sweet. Pain on the bottom of the feet and can cause them to walk like zombies. I was going to say, sounds like ogres. Damn sounds it. like leprosy. Yeah, it okay. does. Number three, this horror novelist, poet, and scientific theory author was considered America's first well-known professional writer. I don't know, Lovecraft? Good. That's a good guess. Edgar Allan Poe. Okay. I was close. Number four, Robert Kessler, a former FBI special agent, was credited with coining what now famous term? Serial killer, mass murderer, or profiler? Profiler. Serial killer. Okay, moving okay. on. Okay. <laughs> Next. Oh, no, wait. That's over now. <laughs> that was horrible. Okay. Thank you so much for listening to us. We really very much appreciate you. This has been an episode of Terror Talk. My name is Shannon. And I'm Kathy. Sleep safe, everyone.